Welcome to episode 41 of the Empowering Ability Podcast. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast, where we get you and your loved ones impacted by disability the information needed to live a full and meaningful life. Now here's your host, Eric Gall. Hey friends, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Eric Gall. Today is a repodcast or a repost of a clip from episode six with Keenan Weller and Al Condalusi. And on this podcast, we discuss social capital or really building relationships. In the podcast, Al talks about how important relationships are and gets into a lot of the research on how they're connected to our well-being and just referencing a Harvard study on happiness, relationships are actually the number one factor in our lifelong happiness. So uh, relationships uh, have statistically been proven to be the the most important uh, thing in our lives that contribute to our happiness and well-being. Um, even, uh, you know, when we look at loneliness, it can be more damaging to a person than smoking. So uh, relationships, they're important, and Al gives us a four-stage framework that I think is great in terms of having a process to actually build relationships or help somebody with a disability to build relationships. And it gives us a starting point and uh, a process to start to work through to help someone to build those relationships. And in this clip, Keenan Weller of uh, Live, Work, Play also shares how they're using this framework to help individuals with disabilities to uh, build relationships. He talks about how it's not easy, how it's hard work, and, and he really um, shares kind of that experience and, and shares an example as well, which will help to give some some context to those of you that are interested in in doing this work or uh, that you know are already doing this work to share that uh, some of those experiences you're going through, you're not alone. One quick thing I wanted to share as well to highlight the importance of relationships for people with disabilities is in a conversation with uh, Al Condalusi that I have I didn't record. We talked about the theory of 150. So the average person has about 150 connections or relationships that they can maintain at any specific time. So Al's now doing the research to look at the relationships that a person with a disability has. And he's seeing that the average for a person with a disability actually sits around 25. So much, much less social connection for a person with disabilities compared to the average person. And when you think about relationships, uh, Al explained that you can look at it in terms of, uh, I guess, kind of concentric circles. So a circle with inside of a circle. So if you can picture kind of uh, three circles, so you have one bigger circle and then one kind of in the in the center of that circle and then another one that's kind of like a pin dot in the center of those two circles. So the one in the kind of the bigger outer circle, those are your general um, connections, your acquaintances, people that you know. With inside of that second smaller circle, those are your closer friendships. And now within that tiny little dot are your very intimate relationships. So those are people that, you know, those are your your besties, your best friends, your BFFs, your uh, maybe your significant other, uh, your parents, your brother, your sister, those types of folks in that 
in that tiny little circle. So a lot of us within that tiny little circle, we might have, you know, five, eight people, right? A few best friends, uh, our family, a significant other. Um, but when you look at a, a, that little circle for a person with a disability, often it's their parents and, and maybe a, a brother or sister. So it just it was a really interesting conversation with with Al that just highlights the the social connection and, and the average person's network and a person with an individual uh, a person with a disabilities network that I thought was valuable to share. So uh, and it, it sets some good context for uh, the reason for helping somebody with a disability to build more relationships and uh, and here's Al talking about uh, a four stage framework on how to do that. We all know, and the listeners of the podcast know, that there is this isolation that exists for individuals um, living with a, a disability. So what are some ways that um, families or individuals uh, with a disability can start to build that social capital, build those relationships? What are some practical things that that families and individuals can start to do? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's obviously the, the question of the, uh, of the day. And maybe I can kind of codify it in a, in a framework and then, and then Keenan can really speak to it, um, with, um, some of the wonderful experiences that they've, uh, you know, uh, have been in developing, um, in Ottawa and other, other, uh, forward thinking communities in, in, in Canada and, and in the United States. <clears throat> but clearly, um, Eric, you know, this, this approach really differs 180 degrees difference from the deficit perspective that Keenan had spoke about, um, just a few moments ago. And that is, um, this, this approach really is a macro approach as opposed to a micro approach. Historically, people with disabilities have been seen from their deficit or have seen from their difference or from their inability. Um, a macro approach really begins to, you know, broaden the, the perspective. And, and so we've kind of codified a four-step process that, you know, we recommend and we've been trying to embody here at class. I know that, that, uh, that, that visionaries like Keenan and Julie and others have have begun to uh, incorporate into uh, their 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 work, but the, the the real start point, the first step, really centers around people's interests, affinities, and passions. Rather than thinking of my cousin Carrie from what she cannot do or what she struggles with, the the start point of a social capital agenda is who is Carrie as a woman and what is she like. What does she care about? What is she interested in? So shifting from a deficit analysis to a cultural profile of assets is the first step. The second step is then beginning to say, where do these interests and affinities that Carrie has, where do they match up in the community? That is, for every interest a person has, there is a matching community, a gathering point of people in the community who like that same thing, who care about that, that same thing. Um, you know, for me, for example, I, I love to read and I, I really enjoy jazz music. And, uh, um, you know, I love, I love to play golf. 
right? These are things that I have affinity for. Um, so if I was looking to build more relationships, I would sort of begin to say, where does my interest in reading match up in the greater community? Where does my interest in golf match up in the greater community? Uh, so step two is finding the community venue or connection point um, where people gather around that point of similarity rather than to look at people's difference. So step two is finding the venue. Step three is an anthropological step, Eric. It is really looking more at what do what is expected of people when they um, when they look to join a club or a group or an association or a golf league or or book reading club. What's expected of people in those kinds of community settings, and um, and then really beginning to, um, to 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 coach and to prepare. Um, the person that you're supporting to understand what those expected behaviors are. And then the fourth piece of the puzzle is really finding a gatekeeper. And when we talk about a gatekeeper, we're really talking about somebody already in the community, somebody indigenous who literally can uh, facilitate the new person's uh, penetration. So let me let me just articulate this in a, in, a, in a much more simple way. If I was looking to move to Ottawa again from Pittsburgh, and I know how important relationships are, that they make me healthier, they make me happier, they make me um, achieve more, advance more, then how would I build new relationships in Ottawa? Right? So step one, I would really begin to think of what, what do I like? What do I care about? Step two, I would look to find a setting where that 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 interest is celebrated, and then thirdly, I would you know really begin to say what's expected of me when I join something new. I'm going to have to really understand the rituals and the patterns and the expectations of that community. But most important is this idea of the gatekeeper, and the gatekeeper is somebody indigenous, somebody who's already in. Uh, the, the, the community that I would like to join or I would like to be a part of. And if I could find somebody who facilitates my penetration into that community, it makes my building friendships a little bit more easy. It doesn't make it so simple. It's, not, it's never a simple process. It's, it's always complex. And any of the listeners of this podcast know that when you talk about relationships, you know, it sounds pretty simple, but it's incredibly complex that, that there isn't one of us listening to this podcast today that has been always successful, ultimately successful in every um, community that they've been or every attempt that they've made at building relationships. So, so this is not easy stuff. It sounds simple, and maybe that's why people dismiss it, Eric, or maybe that's why it hasn't really been incorporated more quickly because it sounds so simple. Yet people like Keenan and Julie and others of us who are laboring in the vineyard, we know how complex this is. It is not easy. But there is this methodology and this process that I think if we, if we keep that in mind, it can begin to shift the paradigm from this de deficiency approach of how do we fix Kerry's problems 
to this broader notion of how can charismatic Yeah, thank you. I, I love that. I love that. So, Keenan, did did you maybe have an example or two of how you've put that model into into action? Sure. Well, you try to do it every day, but I just want to support, you know, that is the, uh, a bit of the conundrum is the, the message in many ways is simple, which is why it's effective and, and, and people appreciate the message, but the work is really hard. This is much harder than running a day program, uh, getting to know a series of individuals, uh, what interests them, and then the whole new piece of work, which is uh, getting to know your community and uh, learning about new you know, sub-communities uh, and making those uh, connections and, and doing the, the research. I mean, it's a lot of work, you know, what does it mean getting to know someone? Well, that's an endless process, but, you know, getting to know them well enough uh, where it's reasonable and responsible to start, uh, you know, trying to help them explore their, their goals. But I, I think one of the first steps really with a lot of people is just, is, uh, you know, words like belief and trust come into play. So you've got family members there dealing with uh, a lot of painful experiences, uh, as is the, the individual. And so, you know, when you start talking to them about how, oh, no, we're, we're just going to match you up with some people who will respect and appreciate you in the community, you know, they may, they may roll their eyes so hard that it gives them a concussion because uh, it's not been their experience. And so communicating that, you know, it's not about this is for high-functioning people. Uh, you know, it won't work for low-functioning people. There's a there's some work to be done with explaining that. Um, in, indeed, we have had lots of experiences where, you know, non-standard communicators or other people that have had difficulty being appreciated in in mainstream community venues. Uh, there is a whole process uh, that goes into supporting success, and that's where a lot of the hard work comes. And you don't. You don't always see it. It's it's a kind of a research process, a feeling out process. So, you know, when someone identifies, I really want to be part of my local YMCA instead of, you know, shipping myself across the city to a segregated program somewhere. Well, why can't, you know, how about just going to the gym down the street? Well, it doesn't, you know, that doesn't begin and end with, with the membership. That's That's a whole complicated uh, milieu that, that needs investigating right from, what are the people at the front desk like? Um, how are they with their welcoming uh, process? Are they welcoming people? Would they be people that would take a supportive approach to someone that uh, you know may seem different, uh, or would they call security? <laughs> so you can set someone up for some some pretty bad experiences if you don't investigate. And then within that venue, you know what kind of classes are there? Is is it a loud place? Is it a quiet place? And what is this person like? Uh, you know, would a would a quiet you know would quiet yoga frustrate them? Uh, you know, would they prefer to be in a loud venue? Who are the natural welcomers in those classes uh, or environments? And how could we identify them? And you know, what work should we do uh, before the person is even introduced to this venue to to mitigate some of these risks? Because I have to say, there's been very complimentary things said, but we we fail spectacularly, um, and that's part of the risk taking. Programs are you know, there's a lot of control. And you can you can minimize uh, your risk to sort of systemic types of failure. You, you just fail overall in, in not supporting people appropriately. But in terms of supporting people to to have a life and to to build their social capital, uh, that's a lot of risk because you can't control the community. 
you can only seek to understand it and connect with it and be a part of it. And so I think that is also important to keep in mind. So I, I don't, I'm trying to think of a, a particular success. Maybe the one that's public is a, a gentleman named uh, Chris Jones, who really wanted to be uh, involved in soccer and actually hadn't, wasn't really enjoying. He was involved in some, some uh, special needs type of soccer and it clearly wasn't working out. And we thought, well, what else is there? And we started looking around and there's some new, this is a new thing too, that I think, you know, Al would be as excited to see that's coming up. You know, we have like the meetup sort of concept that's grown in the mainstream society, you know, meet up with people, like-minded people for a Steelers game or could be anything really photography. And so, you know, that phenomenon has given rise to new sorts of uh, communities, such as a sports community that has as their mission, you know, everyone can play sports kind of thing. And so there's two of those that have come up in Ottawa. And I know we connected uh, Chris with uh, Ottawa Rec Sports. And, you know, we were set in to, to go and kind of have a whole meeting with them about, you know, we might have some people with differences and, and uh, you know, we'll help you with some strategies. And, and really, uh, in a polite way, they were kind of like, this is the whole idea. Uh, this is all about everybody playing sports and we don't need any convincing and bring it on kind of thing. And so we still had our doubts, uh, but they found uh, they found Chris a, uh, a soccer team, and we had worried early on we'd really screwed up because you know soccer fields are in demand and some of these games are really late, and we thought oh man we've we've messed up. Uh, there's not even a bus that runs when this game finishes, and we don't even know what happened to him. I didn't realize, so we're all in a panic and you know get a hold of somebody from uh, from the league and. Oh, yeah, no, he went out for beers and they drove him home. Oh, okay. And so we started identifying there's a number of these uh, relationships have developed and that he's not just, uh, you know, on the list of people on the team. He's part of the team. And so just like anyone else, everyone got a ride home that night. It wasn't just Chris because he has a disability. There are some people that drive and there's some people that don't. And there's some people that are drinking and there's some people that weren't. And they sorted it all out. And he was just a part of that. And so to me, that's just like your, you know, your 11 out of 10. And it wasn't really much that, uh, that Live Work Play did. Uh, it was just the way that, uh, that those people organized themselves. And so we're always on the hunt for that. And, but sometimes it's not there. And so you're working to create it. And I look at, you know, a partner like the YMCA where they've actually worked on their own policies and, uh, you know, they're truly a partner of ours where, you know, if someone that we support was experiencing a challenge, they would reach out to us um, and vice versa. And so, you know, those sorts of uh, relationships are huge. And then the, the wonderful thing that happens is, you know, you go from sort of you can settle with, OK, they're in uh, and, and everything's fine. But it's how do we go to the next level? So, you know, once people are, I'll say, you know, accepted in an environment, what opportunities are there for to elevate their contribution? And I think that whole reciprocity piece that I know uh, Al gets really excited about. And it really is when you have reciprocity between people, that's when, you know, the social capital is really bubbling. Uh, it's not just that, oh, yeah, we, we tolerate this person or we accept them or we think they're cute or whatever. It's they are a contributing member of whatever the particular community is. And they're valued as an individual for their interpersonal relationships in the group, as well as their contribution to the group as a whole. And that's where we have to constantly, you know, it's a struggle to remind ourselves uh, we're not done just because it's going OK. 
it's what are the opportunities, the emerging opportunities to support this person uh, to advance in ways that would make them happy. A huge thank you again to Al and Keenan for coming on the podcast earlier this year and sharing these insights around building relationships and social capital. And if you want to learn more about social capital from Al, you can check out his book titled Social Capital, The Key to Macro Change. And I will link to this book in the blog and the show notes of the podcast so you can uh, check it out there for a, a quick reference and pick that up for yourself. Now, as we head into the holiday season and the Christmas break, I'm going to take a bit of a break from podcasting to tee it up for next year to line up some great guests. I already have a couple of great podcasts lined up for you folks. One with coming up with Peter Marks talking about conscious care uh, and looks at alternatives to to well-being and, and adding to our toolbox in terms of uh, what we have available to support people uh, with disabilities. Uh, so excited to bring you that one. Uh, I have some great podcasts coming uh, from guests out of uh, Perth, Australia. You're going to hear some more from uh, my good friend Helen Reese, and we're going to talk about siblings uh, with. Another good friend, Becky Rossi. So we've been doing some research on siblings and did a survey uh, of over uh, 400 siblings to learn about the sibling experience. So we're going to share uh, what we've found and uncovered there. So that one's going to be a really exciting episode. Uh, and we're going to have much more on siblings as well. So uh, stick with us into the new year. Excited to bring you some fresh new content. And I wish everyone a happy holiday season, a Merry Christmas, and we will catch you back in the new year. And thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. Uh, if you like this episode and you think you know someone that would benefit, please share it with them. Uh, be a part of the change to think differently about disability. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Visit us at empoweringability.org for more podcasts and resources to help you and your loved ones impacted by disability build a full and meaningful life.